Uh, we're going to do what we do every week as a church. We're going to open up the Bible together. Uh, if you didn't come with the Bible, don't fret. There's some down the center aisle here, and the kind people on the end of the rows will, uh, if you just nudge the person next to you, they'll pass Bibles down to you. Uh, in the Bibles, under, these, uh, under the chairs at the end seats of every row, it's page 588. Uh, for the rest of the church, it's 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you're here for the first time or you haven't been in a while, we uh, as a church believe that this is God's truth and his word to us as his people, uh, written a long time ago, but relevant to today. And we are studying the book of 1 Peter together. And we began a study through this a number of weeks ago. This is, I think, the fourth week of and we're going to read from verse 1, uh, sorry, verse 3 of chapter 1 to the end of verse 12 this morning. So hopefully you've got your page uh, open and you can join along in reading with me. I'll read it out loud. You just follow along. And this is what the passage says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. In this, in this salvation, you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And these next verses are what we're going to look at this morning. Concerning this salvation, so everything that's gone before, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or what time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I'm going to pray just a moment and ask for God's help so we can understand this together. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can gather together as your people in freedom without the fear of persecution this morning. And we can gather together to hear your ancient word read to us and applied to us in our modern day. We pray for help to understand and mercy upon all who hear, that we might not hear my voice, but your voice, and be changed by the power of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of my favorite films 
of the last few years is a film called Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Uh, you're looking a bit confused, Ezra, as to why it would be my favorite film. But it's a computer-generated animation from 2004, and it's about a talking scientific dog. <laughs> okay, that's the kind of films I enjoy. Talking scientific dogs who adopts this Mr. Peabody. He adopts a seven-year-old son. He adopts a seven-year-old boy. And Mr. Peabody, because he's a scientific inventor, he invents the Wayback Machine. And the Wayback Machine is a time machine that Mr. Peabody uses to tutor his son Sherman in history. And so in the film, in the course of the film, these two, the dog and the talking dog and his little seven-year-old boy, they go back in time and they go back to ancient Egypt and they meet King Tutankhamun. They go back to uh, the American independence and they meet George Washington. They go back to the French Revolution and he, see uh, Marie Antoinette and they go back to the Renaissance period in Florence to see Leonardo da Vinci and then there's the Trojan War thrown in and Albert Einstein and Isaac Newton and it's great because uh, especially if you love history, it's, it's a great entry level uh, for history. I think they should probably show it if you're doing history GCSE. Uh, and I, I love this film. It's fantastic. It's great. It's a lot of comedy, a lot of uh, adventure, a lot of fun. Uh, and I sit there and I watch it and I think, oh, I really wish I could have a Wayback Machine. And I could go back in time and visit all of these different things. But what would uh, get my, my interest the most as a Christian is I'd like to go back to see Noah and see him building an ark and loading onto the ark all of the animals two by two. Or I'd love to go back and see Moses and watch from a distance the, the plagues striking the Egyptians and see God lead the Israelite people out from slavery in Egypt and lead them through the desert by pillars of cloud and fire. Or I'd like to go and see Joshua and see the walls of Jericho come tumbling down just at the sound of a large shout and the blast of a trumpet. Or maybe you would like to go and see David fighting Goliath with stones in a sling. Or Daniel in the lion's den. And, his, and hear perhaps stories about his friends Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and how they got thrown into a fiery furnace without burning up and dying. Or maybe you'd like to go and hear from Jonah about what it's like to live in a, inside a fish for three days. For all of our interest in the past and my desire for a wayback machine, the Apostle Peter here in our passage that we read this morning wants to tell us actually that the past is great, but don't forget about today. The past is great, but don't forget about today. Now, as we study the book of Peter, we realize that he's been telling us that living in today's times is difficult as a Christian. Okay, To be a Christian in the modern world is difficult. Okay, People mock us and malign us and marginalize us because we believe in an ancient Jewish man who claims to have risen from the dead. The church in our country is portrayed in the media and on the TV and, and in conversations in pubs as weak and small and irrelevant to modern society, that we're out of touch with the times. Perhaps even as Christians we feel, you know, God is silent and feels a little bit distant and I wish it was like the days of Moses or David or Daniel or Jonah. As difficult as it is to live as a Christian in the modern world, uh, and last week we saw that uh, Christians experience trials and sufferings and persecutions for our faith that are painful, 
but can be purposeful, we can, we can be tempted to live in a, in a way that's sort of slightly discouraged, where we're slightly dissatisfied with our times, wishing either for the end of time, when Jesus comes back, which is a good thing, or perhaps looking back in, into the past with rose-colored spectacles, wishing for the days of old. Well, Peter's got something to say to us because he wants to change our perspective as Christians this morning, living in the modern world, to help us to see that actually as Christians, we live in a very privileged time and we've received a very privileged salvation. And they're the two things that I want us to focus on this morning, that we live in a very privileged time and we have experienced and received a privileged salvation. So let me just begin with a privileged time. And I'm taking this right out of verse 10, where Peter says, concerning this salvation, so all that he's talked about in verses 3 to 9, in light of concerning this salvation, the prophets of old, the Old Testament prophets, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what time or person the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Christ that was in them, that was working in them, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So Peter begins by reminding us that the salvation that we experience and enjoy as Christians right now on the 23rd of September in 2018, which will be completely fulfilled into the future one day when Christ comes again and returns, it was also prophesied about and spoken about way back in the past. Okay? The Old Testament prophets, and what I mean by prophet is just, uh, a prophet is one who stood in the place of God, receiving a message from God uh, that was communicated to God's people. So a prophet received a message from God, and he spoke the true and authoritative word of God to God's people so that they might know what God wanted of them or what God promised to them. And the Old Testament is full of these prophecies. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel are the major ones. And then you find the minor ones with more obscure names. People like Micah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Obadiah, Hosea, Habakkuk. All of these different people. And these men spoke way back in the BC years before Christ, before the birth of Jesus. And they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ here in the text, and they spoke and they foretold a message of God's grace and of God's salvation through the sufferings and the subsequent glories of a Messiah. Now, again, the word Messiah isn't one that we use every day. Uh, so Messiah is, uh, is someone sent by God to redeem God's people. That was the Old Testament concept and idea of a Messiah. So the prophets, these people who stood in the place of God and received a message from God, to, they spoke this message about a Messiah, one who would come from God and who would redeem God's people through sufferings and glory. And the prophets, we're told, were absolutely intrigued by this message. Now, although they, it seems what Peter is saying to us here is that although they knew something about 
God's plans, they didn't fully understand exactly what God was planning and exactly what the, who the Messiah would be or exactly what the sufferings and the glories would be or how God would bring this all to completion. So they were intrigued and they wanted to know more and so they began searching for answers and carefully inquiring as to the exact circumstances, the when, the what, the how of when this Messiah figure would come and how it would all play out in history. So they were asking questions, I think, like, when is this message going to be fulfilled? When are the, the, the visions that I've had, when will they be realized? Who are these messages pointing to? And what do they mean? Now, Peter, I don't think, is saying that the, the prophets of old spoke riddles that no one could understand. I don't think he's saying that they spoke messages that were completely irrelevant to the people around them. Of course, the, the Old Testament was used by God to bring comfort and hope to those who looked forward in faith. You can see evidence of that if you read Hebrews 11 verse 13, where the saints of old longed for a day that had been promised to them, but they did not see. Okay, so they, the, the prophetic messages that came through the Old Testament were to inform those generations, but we're in, informed here in Peter that the prophetic messages, the promises of God that these men gave served a different function, a bigger function than just speaking to their contemporaries, to the people who lived around them. Peter, in fact, tells us in verse 12 that they were not serving themselves, if you notice, it was revealed to them as they made their inquiries, as they looked for answers to their questions, God gave them answers, but it wasn't answers that they expected. It was answers that you're not serving yourself, but you're serving a future generation. You're serving the things that you're saying have implication and impact beyond your lifetime to a generation you won't see. And so despite their foreknowledge, despite the fact that the Holy Spirit was inspiring their messages, these weren't their best guesses, these weren't that they spent ages reading the stars and kind of coming up with astrological calculations. These were messages from God, but they weren't, they were, the prophets were incomplete in their understanding. They saw dimly, if you like, as through like a dirty mirror or a dirty window. They could see, but they couldn't quite make it out clearly because they were speaking to a generation beyond them. Speaking, Peter tells us, if you notice, to you. Now, who's the you? He says it three, I think, three times in our verses. He's speaking to you, to you that's been announced and proclaimed to you. So who's the you? Well, it's you, y'all, us. He's speaking to us this morning. Whoever is reading Peter's message here in 1 Peter are included in the you. He's, the prophets were speaking to us, to you and me, to everybody who lived in the A.D. years. So they were speaking from the B.C. years to those of us in the A.D. years. And the Old Testament prophets lived in a time of promise. They lived in a time of promise. They lived in days of eager expectation. They had a predictive ministry. They spoke about matters that would come to fruition 
in the future. And they were speaking to us. Now, what were their messages conveying? Because that's the next question, isn't it? Okay, so if they're speaking to us, what were they trying to say to us? Well, here's some general things, because we haven't got time to study the entire Old Testament this morning. Uh, you'll be glad to know. Uh, so they were speaking a few things. Number one, they were, I think the prophets, how we understand the prophets today, how we understand the Old Testament is that we see that the sufferings and the glories of the Messiah were not untimely accidents. They were not random acts of chance or tragic mistakes, but everything that God did was planned and promised beforehand. And he has been working it out ever since. Think about this, for instance. I love the way that pastor, American pastor John Piper says this about verse 11. He says in verse 11, Peter points out the amazing fact that Christ himself, the spirit of Christ in our passage, hundreds of years before his own death and resurrection, was predicting his own death and resurrection. This means that Christ, the Son of God in heaven, has been contemplating his suffering and his death for us for centuries. Indeed, as far back as the plan of salvation reaches in the mind of God, so far back has Christ been willing and ready to give himself for our Sins. And then I love this. This is the best sentence in the quote. You, you, you were not loved for just a bloody moment of sacrifice in history. You have been loved for endless ages in the eternal plan of the Father and the Son to save sinners who trust in him. Love that. You weren't loved for just a bloody moment in history. You've been loved for endless ages in the eternal plan of the Father and the Son to save sinners. You see, the Old Testament prophets, they had a predictive ministry. They looked forward, but we read them now. Uh, as we read the Old Testament, as we read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the minor prophets, they no longer function to point us forward to something that will happen, they function as divine confirmation of all that has happened. In other words, what they help us to see is that God is faithful to his word and to his promises. That God is who he says he is and that God does what he says he will do. That's how we read the Old Testament prophets now. We read them in light of the fulfillment they're no longer promises, they're confirmation. Because we look at what Christ has done and we say, God spoke that seven, eight, nine hundred years beforehand. He planned it. We can see that everything that Christ did is a confirmation of the fulfillment of the promises. Therefore, we can have certainty and confidence that God is who he says he is. And that God does what he says he will do. We live in a privileged time because we live in the age of fulfillment. Promises kept. Think about it this way, okay? If the Old Testament prophets could kidnap Mr. Peabody and Sherman and their Wayback Machine, they would come forward to our day. That's what Peter wants us to see. We long to go back, oh, long for the days of Moses and Elijah and David and Daniel. They say, no, 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 we would jump in our way back machine and we would go way forward to your day. 
Because you, us, live in a privileged time where Christians have received a clearer, fuller, more amazing, gracious understanding of who God is and what God is doing in his world concerning his plan of salvation. The prophets longed, looked at it from afar and longed to know more. We live in days where it's ours today. We can sing about Jesus. We can know about Jesus. We can read about Jesus. We can know personally about Jesus. We don't long for a day where we hope for a Messiah. We see that Jesus has come. And we can know him and see him and read about him and hear about him and understand it and believe it. And in so believing, receive life. Through it, we live in privileged times. We live in a time where the spiritual blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ are greater than anything that the Old Testament prophets of old ever envisaged. We live in a time where the Holy Spirit no longer points us forward to a coming day and in expectation of the coming of the Messiah. We live in a day where the Holy Spirit makes the reality of Jesus come alive to us through the pages of Scripture. We live in a day of promises kept and it's a very privileged time. <clears throat> now think about how this would have affected people in the first century, Christians in Peter's day, the original audience, because they were mocked and maligned and marginalized because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They were ridiculed, laughed at, beaten, flogged. Eventually, they would be killed and fed to lions or burned at stakes. In, present, in spite of their present trials, in spite of their present persecutions and their difficulties and their sufferings, these these Christians who Peter was writing to, the first you, they could know that even the least of them, even the very least of them, those who didn't think that their faith was very strong, those who weren't steeped and brought up in Christian homes, those who weren't uh, familiar with the Bible, even the least of the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ, Peter wants them to know, you have a greater, more privileged, more blessed position than the greatest Old Testament prophets. You're more privileged than Isaiah. You're more privileged than Ezekiel. You're more privileged than Jeremiah or Daniel or Jonah because you have seen the Christ and the fulfillment of the promises. And you know what? So can we. Through the pages of the New Testament, through what Peter says to us, through the proclamation of the good news that has been announced to us by those who preach the gospel, we too are in a privileged time. We too have a very privileged status. So we might grow to be, or, or we might experience growing, let me say it that way, we might experience growing Marginalization and persecution and ridicule for being Christians. We might be uh, forced to leave this school and no longer meet here and have to find new ways of, reach, uh, of meeting together as Christians because we are increasingly discriminated against because of our faith in Christ. And yet, the words of Peter stand true. We're privileged because we've come to live in a time of promises 
kept. So whoever we are, whatever our life is like, we live in a privileged time where the greatest news ever imaginable, the greatest news ever conceived, that Jesus Christ has come and he has made God known to us and made a way for us to know God and to be reconciled to God and have our sins forgiven through the life and the death and resurrection and the victory of Jesus over sin and death and Satan. This news that has been proclaimed to us by Peter and Paul and John and right down to today. This news that if we turn from our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ, we can be saved. This news makes us privileged. Juan Sanchez, who's a commentator and a writer on the book of First Peter, and you can buy his book. It's the little blue one. It's called First Peter for You. It's eight pounds. It'll be in the, wherever the coffee's being served afterwards. Uh, he says this, no matter how hard life may get, or how oppressive governing officials may be, or how discriminatory a supervisor at work may become, you are privileged to be alive today because you get to live in a time where Christ has been revealed and we have experienced his salvation. Let us take comfort in knowing that no matter what we may lose in this life and however we may suffer because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are more privileged than prophets, or angels. So we live in a privileged time, but that's not all. He's got something else to say to us. We have also received a privileged salvation. This is point number two this morning. A privileged salvation. Look with me at the end of verse, uh, well, look with me at verse 12. It says, it was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but us, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Peter highlights the privileged salvation and privileged status of his readers, of us, this morning by telling us that angels, glorious heavenly beings, they're interested in what we experience. They look down from heaven peering over, if you like, the edge of time into our privileged time to know more because they long to look at all that God is doing through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're like me, I think it must be amazing to be an angel, I reckon. It must be amazing. Can you imagine living and dwelling in the throne room of God, okay? And doing God's errands for him. Yeah, who wants to go down to see Mary? Yeah, I would. Gabriel says, and boom, off he goes. Or who wants to go here? Who wants to do this? Who wants to do that? Yeah, I would love to do that. They must live an incredible life, angels. Okay, to see and know all that they do, looking down from heaven on what God is doing on the earth, to have observed the unfolding drama of what God is doing in history, culminating in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, getting the privilege to go and announce the birth of Jesus to shepherds and then show off their, quiet, their choral skills by singing glory to God in the highest. They must live an amazing life. And yet, Peter wants us to realize that angels are outsiders. Outsiders to the drama of redemption. Outsiders, because they never get to experience what we experience. They love to look at it. 
They long. The word long here in the text is they, they long. There's this strong desire to not take their eyes off it. Because they want to see it and know more about it. Why? Because they don't get the privilege of enjoying it. And though the world around us might think Christians are strange and insignificant and irrelevant and worthy of pity or scorn, the angels say, no, 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 don't, don't think like that. You are privileged because you have experienced the richest, greatest, most incredible, glorious blessing that you can from God. Salvation through the sufferings and glories of his Messiah. They long to look at what we enjoy. They're not sitting there on their clouds, playing their harps, just thinking, isn't life sweet as an angel? They're going, I wish I was down there. Receiving what they receive, enjoying what they enjoy. Living with knowing the glories of the suffering, dying Rising again, Messiah. Let me give you some examples of the things that they long to experience that are ours. The sufferings and the glories of Jesus. These are some of the words of the prophets. This is Isaiah 53. This is, who, this is the salvation that is ours. Jesus, he, uh, Isaiah prophesies, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. But he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every single one of us to our own way, and yet the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Peter, in fact, in, in chapter 2 takes the words of Isaiah and shows us that the promise is fulfilled when he says, Christ also suffered for you. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Echoes of Isaiah 53. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Then he says this straight out of Isaiah 53 again. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. See the great exchange there? He bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And Paul speaks in Colossians chapter 1, for God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's rescued us from the kingdom and dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. 
For Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the Messiah. Come, he's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Christ is the supreme being in the universe. That's what Paul is saying. And he's also the head of the body, his church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And then this is what Christ has done. For in him, for in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated from God, Hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He's now reconciled you to himself in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Well, what about Philippians 2? Nearly done. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. There the sufferings of our Messiah. But then Paul highlights the glories of our Messiah. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As Christians we live in a privileged time and we have received a privileged salvation where one has come from God and died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins and to give us life where there is only spiritual death inside of us. And he's come and rescued us and pulled us out of darkness and taken us into the light of God's glory and holiness. Prophets longed to look at it. They longed from afar. Angels longed to look at it. Looking down from heaven, we get to experience it privileged as we are, humbled as we should be, marveling that God would love sinners like us, that he should choose us to receive these incredible blessings, that we should stand here this morning saved. Christ gets the punishment we get the grace. And if the angels and the prophets are excited about it and they didn't know firsthand or fully the relief, the joy, the wonder, the freedom of being a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, but we do, how much more excited should we be? And how we should echo the words of Peter in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you this morning that you have reminded us that although it's difficult to be a Christian in the modern world, and although the church appears weak and small and irrelevant, 
And although we can sometimes feel that you appear distant and silent and how we long for you to speak and move again like you did in the Old Testament, you come and remind us that we are far more privileged than we can possibly understand because you have made the good news of Jesus Christ understandable and available to us. That if we turn from our sins and put our faith in you right now, we can experience salvation and life and joy that without you would elude us. Lord, make us grateful and humble as we recognize the privileged status, the privileged time we live in, <coughs> and the privilege of salvation that is ours. May we not be complacent or ungrateful, but may we have joy unspeakable. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing about the faithfulness and the goodness of our God. So stand with me if you would and let's sing together as we close.